Don't call it a comeback. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Like, you hit somebody on the butt right now. You're not giving them Corona through their butt. This is the Press Box. Shove it in. With Grady and Bischoff. Set up with a bottle of ranch dressing and he just starts screaming, get it all over my face. On ESPN Las Vegas. It's a way to jump into a Monday morning. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Welcome to a new week. Big show ahead. Let's start it off. The First Bite. Is Gonzaga going undefeated? Oh man, I can't wait for them to play USC. You know they're they're almost a ten point favorite against SC right now. I don't know where that line's gonna go, but I I think that has at least a making to the best game of the tournament so far. Don't you I mean I I can't wait to see this game given how SC's playing? Yeah, like I I think USC is is really good. I I don't know that they're Gonzaga good though. Like right. that's kind of the problem when I watch the other teams play yeah. in the NCAA tournament. Is it's yeah. like yeah. I like that. That team looks good. Like UCLA is playing unbelievably well in the NCAA tournament. I don't know if it matters if they manage to get to Gonzaga because Gonzaga sometimes looks like they're playing a different sport. Like yeah. Gonzaga has been so good. It's insane. But here's here's what I'm cheering for, Ed, because I discovered something over the weekend. I am cheering for Gonzaga to go undefeated and win the national championship and be the first undefeated team since Indiana in the 70s. Because I did not realize these people existed, but the people that in the NBA claim that the 80s and 90s were the greatest time of basketball and nobody will ever be better than the 80s and 90s of the NBA, I didn't realize those people exist in college basketball. Because people will tweet out, like, is this the best team ever? Is Gonzaga going to be, you know, who's better than Gonzaga? And right. so many people get offended. And they're like, well, you didn't see the Fab Five play. Yeah. And what you about the, UNLV. 90, the 90 yeah. UNLV team? And it's yeah. like, like they're offended just like people yeah. get offended when you suggest that LeBron could be better than Michael Jordan. I yeah. didn't know those people existed. So I want Gonzaga to go undefeated. I kind of want them to beat everybody by 20. And, and everybody say, yeah, it's the best team ever just to annoy those people. Well, you, then you're off to a good start this week. You want people annoyed. Um, yeah, they're always going to exist, right? You know, if they go undefeated, there's going to be, you know, four decades from now, there's going to be people saying three decades from now, when someone goes undefeated, they just weren't as good as that Gonzaga team. Um, it's, you know, that makes it fun. Uh, I don't, I think over the weekend, Durant, and maybe he's hearing this stuff, Durant tweeted out something like that, like no one says the NBA is good, you know, in the present time, and maybe he's hearing those things as well. Uh, about you know people saying it's not as good as it once was look I mean it's a cliche but it's true it's just different eras you have to take the best teams of eras and enjoy them and if you can't enjoy this Gonzaga team I don't know what you're watching um you know now SC is going to be really interesting though uh you they're good I don't know if you they're they're hitting you know they're, they're knocking down shots but and you should know this because uh you are a proponent of the three-point shot they didn't do a lot of that in the regular season because Mobley was so good. But I don't know if they took advantage of him either. But right now, the way they're playing, I think their length, I think Mobley, I agree with you. I think, I I don't agree. Gonzaga's better. But, man, USC's blown people out. 
This is going to be a really, I think it's going to be a really good game. If Gonzaga can beat these guys by 10, the way SC's playing, you might be right. It just might be like, you know what, it's just not going to happen. This team's just too good. Yeah, USC, like we talked a lot about Loyola Chicago being under underseated. USC might have a case as one of yeah. the most underseated teams in this NCAA tournament. And what's what's interesting, so in college basketball, like if you if you're paying attention to the NCAA tournament, the teams that lose are often the ones that are shooting 28% from three in that game. Like if you have a bad shooting night you're going home in the NCAA tournament. And specifically, if you're shooting poorly from three, because the three-pointer is what changes college basketball. And when you're playing single elimination, that that's the reason your season ends a lot of the times. Uh, what's interesting about Gonzaga and USC is that Gonzaga is the number one team in the country in terms of two-point field goal percentage. And USC is the number one defense in terms mm -hmm. of allowing two-point field goal percentage so for every you know ncaa tournament game that's decided on who makes a bunch of threes this game might simply be decided on can gonzaga score in the paint as easily against usc as they do against everyone they've played this season because usc has been the best two-point defense the best paint defense in the country this season so that's what's going to be fascinating about this is it might be a matchup it might be a college basketball ncaa tournament game that is not decided by which team hits more threes. I hope it happens in terms of uh, that offense against defense. You're, you're exactly right, though. What happened yesterday, it's funny, uh, reverse psychology here. Florida State couldn't hit a three against Michigan. They got down too much. <laughs> and then the announcers on it, they're 0 for 16, they're 0 for 7. Then they hit a few straight, um, but they were out of it because they, could, they couldn't make a three all, 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 you know, until they got down 10, 11 in the second half, and then it was, it was too late. You know, Gonzaga's got, you know, Kispert, guys like that, Ajayi, all those guys, they they can hit threes. And I think they're going to have to. Um, I think Mobley, you know, can maybe bother Timmy inside. Uh, but it's going to, I mean, it's going to be really good, man. I, I I guess I'm not surprised, but when I saw it open at nine and a half, I'm like, man, either they're just so good and we just don't, I think we realize how good they are, but they're just so good we don't get it yet. Or maybe the line's a little off. I, I, I'd be very interested to see if that, where the money goes. If that's bet up by, by the Sharps and goes to 11 or 12 or something like that, that'll be amazing because if they can beat that team, like I said, by double digits. And, you know, this hasn't been the SCs of all year long. I mean, this is uh, they, they got to the tournament and just kind of flipped a switch. I mean, they were good, but not this good. And if they, uh, if they go in and, and Gonzaga can, can kind of run them like they've run everyone else, it's going to be really hard beating that team. Uh, Ken Palm has you, uh, Gonzaga winning by seven points. Okay. So, so maybe it'll come down. Ken, Ken Palm's a little higher. On Heck, I hope it's seven because they're both teams. blowing people out. Yeah. I, I hope it's yeah. a really good game. The, the What is it? The left side of the bracket has had like two yeah. close games. Yeah. Had, I mean, the right side of the bracket's out. kind of insane. The left side of the bracket, we basically had the Alabama game yesterday, and that's right. like the only right. close game on that entire side of the bracket. But here's so. Here's what I think the problem ultimately is for anybody that plays Gonzaga, right? We look at we look at USC and like you can get excited about that matchup. You've got the Mobley brothers. Taj Eddy has been really good. Like USC's got good players. The problem is when you play Gonzaga is we saw it yesterday. Their fifth best player, their number five starter is Andrew Nimhard. And Andrew mm -hmm. Nimhard can beat guys off the dribble and score in the paint. Their fifth best player. They he can just beat a guy one-on-one -on -one off the dribble and score in the paint. Like, so even if, 
even if you're as a team, because Baylor might be able to do this, Michigan's got a lot of size, they might be able to do this, and maybe USC can do it. But even as a team, if you're able to slow down Drew Timmy, if you're able to slow down Jalen Suggs, and you're able to slow down Corey Kispert, they're big three. Jolie Ayi and Andrew Nimhart are both really good players, and your fourth and fifth guys, there's no way they're as good as those two. And that's what the problem is for pretty much anybody that matches up with Gonzaga, is that even if, like, the, the slight chance that their big three all have a bad day, their four and five guys are better than your four and yeah. five guys, and you're still probably going to lose. I mean, okay, so just put in perspective, uh, I think one of the players of the year by the coaches and media is different. It was either Matt Mitchell or Chandler Hutchinson, right? I think Nimbard would have been better than both of them and have been the player of the year in the Mountain West, and he's fourth on oh, this team. He's probably. fifth on this team yeah. after I. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's fifth, I, and I Ayayi's think he'd be the best player in the Mountain West. Yeah, is probably going to get drafted in the Indian yeah. draft after this yeah. year, and he's the fourth best player on the team. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think any one of those five, if they're in the Mountain West, they're they're the best player in this conference. Yes. And, and it might not even be close. I mean, if you took no. Nimhard and you put him and you're like, hey, you're Derek Alston, your teammates aren't that great, maybe he's not as good anymore. But they like their four and five is are, are going to be better than everybody else's four and five. And oftentimes they're better than everybody else's one and two. And that's why it's so hard because like, and that's why I, I don't think anybody's going to beat this team. I think they're no. going undefeated. I really do. Because you, again, play the matchups with Michigan and Hunter Dickinson inside against Drew Timmy and, and uh, Wagner against Corey Kispert. Like you can find those matchups with Michigan. You can do it with Baylor. Those are the two main teams that stick out and say, yeah, they could beat Gonzaga. They could match up with them. But then again, you go to the four and five guys. It's like, ah, Gonzaga's too good. They're too good at their entire starting lineup. I mean, take a uh, local kid like Julian Strother, who was a really good high school player here, here in town. He was really, really good. And this is usually how it works at Gonzaga, uh, you know, unless you're Jalen Suggs or someone like that. I mean, you know, you do have to kind of bide your time a little because of the way he's recruiting now. He just got a top 30 recruit the other day. They're saying the number one overall recruit, if he's not the G League, he's considering them. I mean, Strother gets in at the last minute when it's a blowout, and he was really good. And, I, you know, I hope he stays there and he has a really good career there and everything. But that just puts in perspective the talent level at that, at that school now. Um, you know, he has guys coming in in mop-up duty and blowouts that, you know, were really, really good high school players. And when they went, they're like, oh, he's going to have a really good career. And, and they still probably will. But it's a different level now. And like I said, he's – there's no longer – I mean, he, he's just recruits at a level now where, you know, a kid like Suggs and others – He's in on everybody. He can recruit with anybody. And and part of that is they treat that program like it's Kentucky or 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 one of those. They charter everywhere. They have the new arena. All the money goes there. So they can, you know, practice. They can bring a kid on campus and say, you can have everything here. They can have it, Kentucky. And, oh, by the way, I think he's been to five Elite Eights in the last eight years. He's, he's leading the Elite Eights the last eight years. So they've got it going there, man. I mean, it's it's an impressive thing that he has done there to build it up from where, you know, it was still a pretty good program when he took over. The, the I'm glad you bring up Julian Strother because he he picked Gonzaga. UNLV was in, like, the, his final four or five or whatever when he picked Gonzaga. I feel pretty confident saying if Julian Strother was, had come to UNLV this year as a freshman, he would have been their second best player at worst and maybe their best player. Yeah, yeah. Like, that, like that, there's a, there's yeah. a legitimate chance Julian Strother would have been the best player on this UNLV team, and he he doesn't see the floor for Gun. Well, he does because they win every game by yeah. twenty, but he doesn't see the floor for Gonzaga when the score is close. And yeah. he's probably the best player on UNLV's team if he yeah. had chosen to come to UNLV. So that's how good Gonzaga is, and I'm sure if he stays, it'll be 
I mean, they're going to lose all these guys, but you know, they'll replace him. I mean, I, but I think he'll, you know, have a really good career there if he bides his time. And that's usually what you have to do at a place like that. And by the way, to go back to the people that are saying that like they're, they're, that are offended that they, people think Gonzaga could hang with the fab five or the UNLV teams. Like, First off, the Fab Five didn't win a national title, so obviously no. somebody could beat them. And second off, the UNLV teams. I mean, the one that won the national title, that team lost one of those five games that year. I know one of them was to New Mexico State, who made the NCAA tournament, but wasn't like a national power. And then even right. the, the, the UNLV team that almost went undefeated, that's probably the best UNLV team that they've ever had, they lost a game to Duke. Like, the idea that those yes. teams would just blow everyone off the floor, they couldn't even do it back then. Like, they're not going to do it now to this Gonzaga team. Like, I, I hope they go undefeated. I I don't know if I'm cheering for close games because I enjoy watching close games or if I'm cheering for 20-point blowouts in every single game so people have no argument that Gonzaga uh, is not one of the best teams of all time. I think if I had to make a choice, I'm cheering for close games, but if they went undefeated, they'd be cool. Like I, you kind of say you want to see that, um, and you know, and I don't even put them in the West Coast Conference. They're so above that that I don't even consider them anymore. I consider them just like one of the two or three best majors. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna be it's this will be. I've not looked forward to a game in the, this specific tournament more than I am SC Gonzaga. And like I said, for all we know, we're gonna be talking about the afternoon. They will have won comfortably, and it's just like you're shrugging your shoulders and like go say they're just too good. Might be. Hopefully, hopefully the Maybe. Mobley brothers, the Mobley brothers come through and block. You can give him a little run. issue. All right. Coming up next, we will jump into the Golden Knights because, oh, they proved some doubters wrong. Ed. Doubters. They doubters. They proved them wrong. All right. Uh, now is your chance to win a couple of tickets to Cowabunga Bay. We will take caller number four at 702-364-1100, 702 702- Three six four eleven hundred. You will win a pair of tickets to Calabunga Bay. Caller number four at 702-364-1100. Here's a shot. Score! Devin Thames. Quick wrister. One swift motion from the slot. And Colorado is back in the lead 2-1. to one. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. Colorado 3-2 in overtime last night. Um, Ed, do, do you want to go straight to the Pete DeBoer audio? Let's do it. Okay, so Pete DeBoer, after the game, while talking about the game, unprompted, uh, wanted to thank a certain group of people and kind of shove it in the face that they beat the avalanche of a certain different group of people. You know, for the believers out there, thanks for sticking with us. I know, you know, there were some doubters out there after the last game, but but, uh, I knew our group would would respond with a real good effort, and uh, we did that tonight. Who are the doubters, Ed? I have absolutely, well, I think I know, and I hope I know, because let me say this, uh, if I don't, it could never be, uh, and he went on to say players read it more than I do. Uh, again, I don't know if that's true, because coaches always say that, and they usually read more than anyone, but uh, here's the thing. Other than, um, I want to say UNLV in the ni- in the 1990s with Tark when they won it. Although I think even more so now because Tark, you know, they had some kind of the NCAA stuff. There's always like this cloud and Max and all that nonsense. At least since I've been here, and I wasn't around with UNLV, but I know people who covered them. There is no team 
that's been close, not even close, to be treated well by the media and positive by the media, whether it's mainstream media, Twitter media, whatever. Now, I'll say this, and most of it's deservedly so because they've been really, really good, the Golden Knights. But if he was talking about any level of media in this town, and I'm going to include all of us in it, then they're out of their minds. I don't think he was saying that. At least I hope he wasn't. I get the feeling maybe they lost 5-1, to one, and maybe his players saw something on Twitter or social media or whatever. If that's the case, though, it, let's just assume that's the case, and I'd like to get your thoughts, that it was some kind of social media like reaction to them getting kind of boat raced by Colorado in that first game. If you need that to motivate yourself beyond just watching the film of getting beat like that, then that's a you problem. And I know everyone it takes in, you know, look, we're all human. Everyone has emotions. No one likes getting ripped. I get that. But you're pro athletes. This isn't the first time, I guarantee you, that anyone's come out if that's what the case is and said something negative. But at any point for the Golden Knights on any level to play the we do not get respected card is laughable. They have been treated by this town media-wise better than any team, whether it's in San Diego or, you know, when I was there, and for many years and here that I've ever been around. And I'm not saying a lot of it's not justified because they've been really good. But don't even go near the we're not respected card in this town for that team. It's not even, it's laughable to ever insinuate that. I will give them, I will give Pete DeBoer the pass in terms of doubters as far as I do think people doubted they could beat the Avalanche after losing 5-1. to one. I do think those people existed. And in a in a one-off game of, hey, you just got embarrassed by the Avalanche, can the Golden Knights beat this team? I do believe that. Now, if they make it to the Western Conference Finals or the Stanley Cup Final, and if they pull, if, if there's any line of some people said we couldn't be here, that's when it's a bunch of crap because the entire season, the goal has been, well, this team should win the Stanley Cup or it's a failure. So... The idea that there's legitimate doubters that the Golden Knights are good? No, not at all. There might be doubts that are you as good as the Avalanche? Sure, but not that the Golden Knights are a good team. Everybody believes they're a good team. Everybody expects, hey, it's Stanley Cup or the season was a failure. Who do you think the doubters were? I mean, your theory might be a good one. Um, I mean, we did talk about on Friday that the Golden Knights did didn't look good against Colorado and are they going to beat be able to beat Colorado in a playoff series that we I mean we did talk about that so I I, I just thought when he said to the press box when they're in Colorado that, but I mean I, I I don't know exactly who what would have gotten to them but maybe it is just random people on Twitter saying it but I I don't know for sure I think it's yeah, people when, who are not players on the team that call them by their nicknames those are the people who have been doubting them. <laughs> well, when he said, and it's a later clip where he says, I don't read that stuff. So, and he said, I just, I heard the players talking about it. So that's when my mind went to, well, I read all the media stuff and, and hear all the media stuff town, so it can't be that. So I thought that meant, I thought it just correlated to social media. I, these guys are all on Twitter. We know that they're all over social media. We know that. Um, that's what I thought it meant. Um, because again, it's just, it's, and I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. Most of their coverage has been completely justified from the time they were expansion team. They've been very, very good. Everyone knows they're good, but if they ever clarify it to come around and say it's the media, 
then I'm going to start laughing because it's like, no, don't even go there. If you want to say there's Twitter trolls, fans, whatever, going after your players, I mean, that's the Twitter world. That's the social media world. It's the, Those are people out there, but not the media. And I don't think, and I hope, let me say this, I hope he wasn't talking about the media. I hope he was. I, I hope he was. Well, that makes it more fun. <laughs> that's exactly who I hope no, he was talking I, about. Well, I guess I, I hope he doesn't, on for his sake, because it's laughable, uh, for our sake, it makes for good, you know, content. But if it's his sake, then either he's paid attention to nothing, which I don't believe for a second, because they all do, uh, or I don't know where it would be coming from. That's why I just assumed he was talking about something on the internet or social media. Media is a bunch of haters, Ed. All we have done yeah, not in this is <laughs> ruin the Golden Knights. You call him Marchy, Marchy Dew to his face, Ed Grady. <laughs> no one you doubt him. No one in the media thinks they're any good. Yeah. All right. Uh, Coming up next, Buster Oldie joins the show because the Major League Baseball season is almost here. Swing and a high fly ball. Right field coming over, getting under it, and making the catch for the third and final out to put the ball game away. The Marlins have done the job. They win this one 2-1. to one. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now from ESPN is Buster Olney. Buster, how are you this morning? I'm hey, doing Buster. great. What's going on, guys? What's that? Oh, we are great. Uh, we've been looking forward to it pretty much since their last playoff series ended. But how great is the NL West going to be this year when the Padres beat the Dodgers? Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I can see I stepped right into a hornet's nest between you guys. Goodness. I, I almost feel like I shouldn't choose sides. But I would say this. It is going to be the best rivalry uh, in baseball this year. You know, forget Red Sox, Yankees. Forget Cubs, Cardinals, forget Giants, Dodgers, Padres, Dodgers are going to be the best rivalry, but I kind of feel like the Padres are still a ways to go before they catch up with Ed's Dodgers. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm happy to hear from you, and thank God you've on to set these guys straight. Uh, okay, so I have to go this. I'll go this way for my uh, cohorts here, just because if there's a way for the miracle to happen and the Padres actually to overcome them, what has to happen on both sides? Like, how could it actually happen, even though I'm praying to God it doesn't? I think that injuries would have to manifest. You'd have to see the Dodgers, uh, you know, lose four or five uh, prime guys because their depth is that extraordinary. I mean, think about the conversation that's been going on in spring training about their rotation. Whether or not they have room for a Cy Young Award winner in David Price, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, you go out and you've already got Clayton Kershaw, you know, who should be unanimous selection for the Hall of Fame, first time he's on the ballot. Uh, you've got Walker Bueller, who's one of the best young pitchers in the game. You've got Urias, who we saw at the end of the World Series last year, how fearless he was. You add Trevor Bauer to that mix, you know, essentially he's the number four. The depth is staggering, uh, and I think that, you know, in the end, over 162 games, uh, it would be difficult for the Padres, I think, to make up the ground unless the Dodgers get hit by a series of injuries. How, how big is the gap between the Dodgers and if it's Padres that you think is number two or Yankees that's number two? How big is that gap between them and the rest of baseball? Um, boy, I, I, sorry to let the air out of your balloon here. I think like 10 <laughs> to 15 games. Wow, uh, really? That wow. many? 
I do because I look. I covered the '98 Yankees, uh, and I think that this Dodger team, when we saw their level of dominance in run differential in that 60-game season last year, and, and then winning the World Series, and now the pressure's off them because they actually won a World Series after years of disappointments. Uh, I think they have a chance to, you know, challenge the regular season victory standards that were established by the Yankees in 98, that 114, you know, the Mariners in 2001 had 116. I think that's the type of team we're talking about here with the Dodgers. And so you could make a case, uh, and this maybe pump you up a little bit, that the Padres are the second-best team in baseball. But I, I do think that because of the difference um, in roster depth, that, it, that, the, uh, you know, that the Padres would be hard-pressed to press the Dodgers for the for National League West title. Oh, we could talk this all day long, but I want to get to something else as good as the Dodgers are. Um, you know, and it it it, it uh, warms my heart that the Giants and also the Cubs are poised for big sell-offs. Why? What's and and talk about the Giants a little because it's gone south quickly. I don't know if they got old. I don't know what happened. But you've got two premier clubs here that uh, I think you'll you'll agree are ready for sell-offs. Yeah, and the Giants, look, we've seen this happen before where they probably, you know, the great core that won three World Series in five years, they probably hung on for too long, uh, you know, knowing how the fan base felt about that group of players. And so this is kind of like the final year for that group. Buster Posey's in the last year of his current contract. Brandon Crawford is. Brandon Belt. Um, and it might be that during the course of the year, if it doesn't go well, and I don't think anybody expects that it will for the Giants, you could see them, you know, move in midseason of Brandon Crawford, you know, potentially move a belt, um, you know, Kevin Gossman, who they, they brought back on a one-year contract, will be one of the most coveted start, uh, starting pitchers in the market, and the Cubs, my goodness, <laughs> like they have Javier Baez as a free agent when the year's over. Anthony Rizzo's a free agent when the year's over. Chris Bryant's a free agent when the year's over. Um, and we saw during the offseason, they, they slashed their payroll. They traded you Darvis to the Padres. Uh, and so I think one, if we get to mid-June and they're, let's say, five, seven games out of first place in the National League Central, I think their front office is going to try to jump the market, move quickly, and move some of those guys. I love the idea of it happening in mid-June and not waiting until the actual trade deadline. Yeah, and I think it's because of the sheer volume of players they have available. I, I can't remember the specific number. I think they have 16 guys who are impending free agents on the Cubs. Um, and especially with the, the playoff format back to 10 teams rather than the 14 that Major League Baseball proposed. And, and there is a chance that that gets revisited here in the 72 hours before the start of the season. Um, but... Given how many impending free agents there are and the fact that this could become an incredible buyer's market by the time we get to July 31st, I think the Cubs front office is going to act progressively and move guys earlier, uh, sooner rather than later. What's the like, and I know you've, I know Francisco Lindor's on, on the steps for a huge deal. Uh, Tyler is an Astros fan. Correa turned his down. I think Seager's up for a deal. Is this as good as you've seen or compare it to other eras of shortstops for guys who are about to get paid a lot? Yeah, the free agent class uh, potentially in the fall of shortstops is the greatest for any position in the history of baseball. Uh, wow. You know, as of this moment, I do think Lindor is going to reach a deal here in the next 72 hours before the first game, and and his contract uh, deal, I'm assuming, is going to wind up starting with the number three, 300 million dollars plus. But you also have Correa, 
uh, who just turned down $120 million from the Astros. It felt incredibly light in that offer. And Corey Seager, and maybe the most underrated player in baseball in Trevor's story, and Javier Baez, uh, you know, if even four of those five guys hit the open market at a time when teams like the Phillies, the Giants, the Yankees potentially, if they don't believe in Glaber Torres as, short, as a shortstop, uh, the Dodgers could be in the market for a shortstop, those guys are going to get paid big time. Do you think there's any chance that one of them wouldn't get paid big time, given what we just saw this offseason with teams kind of reluctant to spend outside of George Springer and Bauer and Real Muto? It's a great question, and I actually think that two of the four that I mentioned uh, for the fall, if you take Lindor out of that mix, uh, actually have something to prove this year. Javier Baez is, is such uh, you know, a peak and valley type player where you know, we've seen at times when he's fully engaged uh, and he's swinging at pitches in the strike zone, he can be an MVP candidate. And then you saw in the 60-game la- season last year, he was a disaster. I personally think he really suffered from the fact that there weren't fans in the stands. He missed that adrenaline, uh, and he was just hacking. Uh, with Carlos Correa, I think what he's got to prove is that he can stay on the field. There's a lot of concerns about his back um, and whether or not he can stay healthy long term. And I think he's betting on himself in turning down that, that uh, turning down that 120 million dollar contract that he can go out, you know, play 150 plus games and show to everybody that he can stay healthy. Where do we stand where this incredible Dodger season could be ruined by labor negotiations? <laughs> well, you know, in all likelihood, um, you know, it, it'll just loom as we go through this year. Um, I, because of, of CBA terms that are too thick to get into here, I don't think there's going to be a work stoppage during the year the way that there was in 1994. But the relationship between the Player Association and Major League Baseball is the worst by far that I've ever seen it. And I've covered, you know, that, that 94-95 strike. These two sides don't even talk. Think about what Tony Clark said the other day uh, about uh, whether or not the Player Association would ask for uh, the All-Star game to be moved out of the state of Georgia, out of Atlanta, after the voting initiatives last week. He said, you know, we would welcome the opportunity to talk to Major League Baseball. We haven't had that opportunity yet. When I read his quotes, I was like, you know, you could pick up a phone. <laughs> uh, but right now, the relationship is so toxic that it's been weeks, as far as I know, since they've even talked about anything. Well, how do you think the um, Major League Baseball using spin rate data to try to catch you know, guys that are using foreign substances, do you think that will uh, be a negative factor in the our relationship between the Players Union and Major League Baseball this year? No. Uh, when I read the details of that, it reminded me, and I've got a 21-year-old and a 16-year-old of me being the pathetic parent saying, I'm not kidding. Kids, I'm not kidding. If, if you don't adjust to what I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to take away your video time. Look, uh, so when they come out and say that, for example, they're going to confiscate baseballs and send them to a lab to be examined, can you imagine the chain of custody defense on a baseball with a foreign substance? The, the clubhouse attendant touches it. The bat boy touches it. The hitter with pine tar on his bat puts it in play. The umpire touches it. it it's a joke until Major League Baseball uh, changes the enforcement. Like, if I were to sit with a game and watch with you guys, the three of us could – could basically pick out in every game uh, eight to ten pitchers who are violating the Ford substance rules. Uh, you see it where they just touch that shiny spot on, on uh, the form of their gloved hand every game. 
The only question is, will Major League Baseball order the umpires to enforce the current rule? To date, uh, that hasn't happened. When I talked to teams about this the other day, they said, nope, haven't gotten that uh, memo from baseball that they're actually going to have the umpires push. Should they just make it legal? Like, should it just be legal to use whatever you want to get a better grip? No, their, their problem is, first off, they've tried to come up with a tacky surface baseball they haven't been able to develop one uh, as they have in, in, the, in the league in Japan that's acceptable to the pitchers. Uh, and if you just simply legalize and said, look, you can do whatever you want, then the question becomes degree. You know, if you saw, like, we saw that one game, I was covering it, when Michael Pineda put that golf, sauce, uh, golf ball-sized gob of pine tar on his neck. Um, you know, what happens if a pitcher goes out and just completely loads up the ball after you've made it legal? So that's why um, you know they haven't addressed it. I've had people with Major League Baseball tell me that writing that particular rule is really difficult, so they've gone with the status quo. Of all the stuff we saw in the shortened season, uh, I, we actually like uh, starter on second in the, in the extra inning, just get it over the old softball rule. Uh, Universal DH, the last, the, you know, the expanded place. What did you like and what, you, what did you not like in terms of making it permanent? Well, unlike you, I'm an old National League guy, and, and I, I actually like pitchers batting, but it's also not the reality moving forward. Uh, we're going to have a universal DH at some point. You know, I hope baseball get at, gets out of its own way and institutes it for this year. Um, uh, you know, that clearly is part of the future because they want to protect the most valued assets, and that's the pitchers. I like the rule of runners at second base. You know, after I did an 18-inning game at Wrigley Field on Sunday Night Baseball once, uh, that ended like at one thirty in the morning. Uh, that that's kind of ridiculous, you know. A six and a half hour game, and you want to protect the players and get them off the field. And about the seven inning doubleheaders, guys. I think in ten years, baseball games are going to be reduced to seven innings because the you know the leaders of the sport are so concerned about the product right now and about you know making it more attractive for a younger audience, which is used to fast, faster, fastest. Uh, I, I think that this is merely a trial for what's to come. Uh, Did you? Buster, uh, because wait. Tyler Ty, or Tyler was really uh, upset with me that I was going insane over that. I think two out of three, three or five against the Brewers, Buster. I was throwing oh, things at God. the TV. Oh, Dodgers God. weren't uh, playing well. What about expanded and letting you as, mi- as many back. people you in as <laughs> letting as many people in as possible? Do you like expanding them? The playoffs, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it. Um, look. Uh, baseball is not the NFL in that when they started their financial structure, it's kind of every franchise for itself. So the Yankees have, you know, three, four times the, the resources that a Cleveland Indians have. And, you know, and having covered the Padres uh, back in the day and, and having, you know, uh, talked to a lot of folks with small market teams, they need more hope. You know, the Players Association stance to date is that by expanding the playoffs, you actually uh, distance, uh, you give less incentive for teams to be aggressive in free agency and to improve. I totally disagree. I think that they need to give more hope to small market teams like the Royals, like the Indians, and you do that by expanding the playoffs. I like it. I think you can go too far. I think 14 would have been a really nice number. And, again, uh, because of the dysfunctional relationship between the two sides, Everything I hear is that it is possible here in these last hours that they might actually re-engage and agree to a 14-team format. Oh, I hope so. Because right, right now, the way it's set up is like the Padres would have to play a wild card game, and then they would get to play the Dodgers in the divisional round, and that would be brutal if they end up as the two best yep. teams in baseball. 
a hundred percent. And imagine if you are, uh, you know, a fan of the Blue Jays, a team that's getting better. Uh, you know, you don't really feel like you have a chance with a with a ten team format. But on the other hand, fourteen teams, then a lot of those teams that are sort of in the eighty four to eighty six win projection are, are going to feel like they have a better chance and maybe take advantage of the sell offs we talked about at midseason. Well, he is Buster Olney from ESPN. Buster, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Buster. Take care of yourself, brother. Likewise. See you guys. Take care, brother. See you. Oh, man. Good stuff 12 there. to 15 there. games better than the rest of baseball. Oh, well, come on. I mean, you know, I, he knew I was a Dodger fan. I'll, I'll take 8 to 10 better. I'll I, take 8 I'll, to 10 better. I'll right take now. 8 to well, 10. The best, the, best is, the best is he's the expert and says, you know, Trevor Bauer is the number four. It's going to be tough getting a better number four in baseball than that kid. Listen, when they start <laughs> cracking down on cheating and pitchers, Trevor Bauer's going to be a terrible pitcher. Probably Clayton Kershaw, too. I mean, every time you watch Kershaw in the playoffs, he's got a big brown circle on the back of his hat that he touches all the time. So. I was uh, – how sweaty is that Kershaw hat? But, uh, well, uh-huh. I, I texted you the other day. He he just got shelled, and it's the last start before his, uh, before he opened. So. And he has to open in Colorado. So I'll be nervous the next few days. I, I, I'll make the show, but I'll, I'll, my mind will be wandering. Uh, I'll make the show. Man, Ed, you, the Dodgers going to fall to 0-1 on the season, and it's going to be, is Ed going to show up today? Hello? I had one note for interviewing Buster Only, and it was, get us some dirt on Ed Graney. No, no, that, do I, it. no, 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 no. There's too many stories he could tell that would, you know, well, it would not be good. It would not be good. You guys would have He, he legally wouldn't be allowed to show right. up. You, you guys uh, would have ammunition for the next 10 years. We don't need that. Jared, I mean, Ed told us that one time when on a date, he managed to back over the strips that punctured all his tires. <laughs> hey, so, hey, he married that girl. I Ed married does, that girl. <laughs> Ed, Ed does a good enough job. Giving yeah, that's, all right, that's fair enough. We still need to get deep into his leather jacket phase. <laughs> all right, coming up next, Greg Smith ditched Utah State for Utah. That's not really good news for you at LV, though. Jones gets it into Quinterly, dribbles up the right side to midcourt, ahead to Reese, he'll take a deep three, time of the key for the tie, got it! He hit it! He hit it! He hit it! Alex Reese for the top of the key, hits the three, we're tied at 65! We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Well, Utah State lost a coach to a power conference, at least they got some NCAA tournament games out of it before he left. Craig Smith took the Utah job over the weekend, Utah State. Uh, three years under Craig Smith, they had, well, they had three NCAA tournament teams. One of them didn't get to play in it because there was no NCAA tournament, but they had three teams that would have been in the NCAA tournament uh, over the last three years. I'm curious, Ed, do you think Craig Smith leaving Utah State is a good thing for UNLV? I guess you got to tell me who the coach is now. Who are they going to hire? Um He's a really good coach. It made sense. I'm, you know, happy for him that he got the jump. And to stay within the state there, he'll probably be do really well. He knows the, he definitely knows the recruiting base of that state. Um, and, you know, whether it's, you know, recruiting against BYU for LDS kids. Uh, so he knows how to recruit into Utah. He's got foreign connections. I think he'll do well at Utah. But whether or not it's good for UNLV, I'm not so sure because I don't know who the coach is. Utah State, Logan's, an, it's a unique place. You have to have a recruiting base to bring kids into Logan. So I, I guess I'd love to know who the coach is. They haven't named them, right? No, they have not. Um, okay. I don't, you know, I mean, 
I guess it's coach. I, the first per, the first word, the first name I saw, and it seems to be a name that's coming up a lot now who doesn't have a job anymore is Tim miles because he knows the league. But I will, I'll tell you that four Collins is a lot different from Logan. <laughs> just is it just is. So I think this is pretty bad news for UNLV and every team in the mountain West, because although Craig Smith leaving, can make winning the Mountain West a lot easier. Like Utah State's played in three straight Mountain West championship games. Him leaving makes it easier to win the conference. Uh, The way the Mountain West is set up right now, the conference needs as many good teams as possible. And losing Craig Smith, losing good coaches, hurts the conference. And by hurting the conference, it hurts all of the teams in the conference. UNLV's chances at any point in the near future to get an at-large bid in the NCAA tournament is worse with Craig Smith leaving Utah State because Utah State's going to be worse and that's less good games that you get to play. So if I'm UNLV, like, sure, it's nice because there's probably not, there's one less good team potentially, but to me, you, you want as many good teams in this conference as possible because you don't want to be in a situation where you you know you have a shot at the NCAA tournament. You're playing Utah State in the final weekend of the regular season, and losing to them knocks you out because they're so bad. Like you want good teams in this conference. So if I'm UNLV, I'm not I'm not pleased that Craig Smith is gone simply because the conference is probably going to get a lot worse. Yeah, and if you just look at this year, and I'm look, I don't remember specifically Ken Palm. Maybe you do their ratings, whatever. But at the end of the day. Who got in on the last two and who didn't? Michigan State, UCLA, who didn't? Boise, Colorado State. So I'm not, you know, we talk every year about what happens in the room, but I'm sorry, you're exactly right. They are not going to get the same respect in the room if the numbers are close that Power Fives will. So you're right. If you take away a good team, that makes it harder and harder to, you know, justify, hey, we need it at large because you're not going to get the power ratings with your own league when you're playing these people. One other thing on Craig Smith, and this is, not to completely discredit Craig Smith, but the reason he was awesome the last three years and the reason he was able to make the quick jump to a power conference job is because he had two of the best players in the conference the last two years. He inherited Sam Merrill, and Sam Merrill became one of the best offensive players in the conference, and he went and recruited Nemesh Kata, who was the best defensive player in the conference for the last three years. When you're UNLV, like when you're Kevin Kruger, those are the types of guys you got to find. You got to find guys that could be a legitimate top two or top three offensive or defensive player in this conference to have any chance at being good.